into the word of God. Let us all bow our heads in prayer. Father in heaven, we come before thee once again to give thee thanks and praise for your many blessings, for the blessing of your word that we've heard this morning. We pray that we may apply it to our lives. And even this afternoon, we pray that thou would also speak through thy servant of clay. Open our hearts, every one of us, whether we are converted or not, but especially those that do not know thee yet as Lord, for the time is coming when you will come again as judge and not a saviour anymore. Be with us and bless your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. For this uh, afternoon's text, the Lord's help, I'd like us to turn to uh, Matthew chapter 22. Matthew chapter 22. Starting to read at verse 1. Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse 1. And Jesus answered and spake unto them again by parables and said, The kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which made a marriage for his son and sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding and they would not come. Again he sent forth other servants saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner. My oxen and my fatlings are killed and all things are ready. Come unto the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. But when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their city. Then saith he to his servants, The wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bid to the marriage. So those servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both good and bad. And the wedding was furnished with guests. And when the king came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. And he saith unto him, Friend, how camest thou into in hither not having a wedding garment? And he was speechless. Then said the king to the servants, Bind him hand and foot, and take him away, and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth, for many are called, but few are chosen. This chapter came to me because I was looking into a parallel uh, passage taken in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 14, which at least it seems like it's a parallel passage. The details are somewhat different. Last night I was in Kitchener with the Windsor Choir there and the the brother holding the inspiration hour alluded to uh, Luke chapter 14 where they have that parallel passage. 
<clears throat> In that passage, though, it doesn't talk about a king. It talks just about a man. And if I can just uh, read it to you, it says in verse 16 of chapter 14 of Luke, Then he said unto them, A certain man had a great supper and bade many. And he sent his servant at supper time uh, to say to them that were bidden, Come, for all things are now ready. And they all with one consent began to make excuse. The first said unto him, I have bought a piece of ground, and I must needs go and see it. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have bought five ox, a yoke of oxen, and I go to prove them. I pray thee have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And the excuses, I'm sure, kept going and going. The the main structure of the second parable in Luke is similar to that in Matthew 22. There were those that were bidden to a supper and just like it says here, they all had different excuses. Uh, another had merchandise in chapter 22, verse 5. They made light of it. One went to his farm and so forth. It seems that the... Uh, the circumstance or the situation was different in chapter 22 of Matthew. The one in Luke, I believe, was in the home of a Pharisee, another Pharisee. And as much as the Pharisees tried to trip up Jesus and to catch him in his words, they somehow were attracted to him. Maybe wanted to see if he's really real, if he's really who he said he was. This other one was on the heels of another parable, the parable of the vineyard. Um, and in Matthew 22, because the Pharisees were um, all over Jesus trying to somehow ensnare him, uh, Jesus was very aware of that. And so he, in a very detailed way, in a way that they would understand, gave them an analogy or a parable that says to show them exactly who they were. <clears throat> in, this, in this chapter 22, Jesus answered again by parables and he said, the kingdom of heaven is like unto a certain king which had a mar made a marriage for his son. And there is no question here that the king is God. He made a marriage for his son, Jesus, the Christ, his prince. And he bade many. He sent forth his servants to call them that were bidden to the wedding, and they would not come. One thing that is very striking about this parable, as well as the one in Luke 14, there are those that say there is, you know, God calls man in general, and it's called the outward call. But only the elect have the inward call. I don't see, I do not see in this chapter that there is an outward call. The outward call and the inward call are the same, and they have the choice of accepting or rejecting the call of God. 
we ended this passage where it says, Many are called, but few are chosen. There's no distinction between an outward and an inward call. When it becomes inward, when it really impacts our hearts, is when we apply it to ourselves. When we feel the conviction, when we're actually not looking for reasons not to believe, but for reasons to believe. And so we see that Jesus is telling these Jews that sought to trap him and ensnare him in his words, and he says that God, this king, made a marriage feast for his son, and he went out and, and he called these people, the Jews, to come to his wedding. Remember, Jesus came first and foremost to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. He came specifically, his ministry was for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he called them and they would not come. In another passage, uh, Jesus says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how oft would I have gathered you together as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, and ye would not. He refused. This is not the God that superficially calls, knowing that he only has a few select in mind. This is the God that sends his word out and sincerely calls Everyone to the marriage feast. The fact that he knows that some people will not accept his invitation does not in any way diminish his sincerity, his desire for the salvation of mankind. And they refused to come, so he sent forth other servants, saying, Tell them which are bidden, Behold, I have prepared my dinner my oxen and my fatlings are killed and all things are ready to come to the marriage. But they made light of it and went their ways, one to his farm, another to his merchandise. And the remnant took his servants and entreated them spitefully and slew them. Now you would think that that's a pretty drastic action that when someone's called to a wedding that they would take the servants that went out to, to invite them, to actually treat them spitefully and to kill them. But perhaps Jesus was speaking in such extreme terms so that they would not miss what he was trying to say. In the parable of the vineyard, the previous parable in chapter 21, when he sent out, um, he planted a vineyard, he hedged it about, he digged a wine press, built a tower, let it out to husband and, and husbandmen and went to a far country. And when the time of the fruit drew near, he sent his servants to the husbandmen that they might receive the fruits thereof. And the husbandmen took the servants, beat one, killed another, stoned another, and he sent other servants more than the first, and they did likewise unto them. Jesus is giving them the history of 
the people of God. How God sent to the Jews his prophets. And they took their prophets and they abused them in such a way, even stoned some and killed some. And you can look into the uh, book of Hebrews chapter 11 to show how some of God's people were treated and dealt with by his own people. In other words, they could not accept the truth. They rejected the truth that God was trying to show to them. And in a very few short verses, God gives them the whole history and the culmination of history of the Jewish people. He says, but when the king heard thereof, he was wroth, and he sent forth his armies and destroyed those murderers and burned up their cities. Now, in the context of this chapter, and if you look in perhaps the chronology of the history, right after um, Jesus himself was crucified, was rejected by the Jews, you can look into... um, the previous chapter, they took his son, that maybe they were reverence his son, but they slew him also. So right after the slaying of his own son in history, about 68 AD, they laid 67 AD, the Romans laid siege on this very Jerusalem. And for three years, uh, tremendous dearth, famine, hit the city, many, many died, and then finally the armies of Rome overtook and destroyed and destroyed Jerusalem, wiped them out, and burned up their city. Now that's a short-term prophecy. This happened within 40 years of the sayings of Christ in this chapter. The king was wrath. He sent forth his armies destroyed those murderers, and burned up their city. Now, the Jews were thinking, what does that mean? Because they they haven't experienced this yet. But this was going to come to pass. But what they did, I believe that they did understand, was that Jesus was speaking about them. He says, He came unto his own, 1 John chapter 1, John 1, 12, And his own received him not. But whosoever received him, to them gave he the power to become the sons of God, even unto them that believe on his name. So this prophecy, we believe, we've we've learnt of that in history. It came to pass. But there will also come another time when Christ will come again and destroy those that oppose him with the, with the, the sword of his mouth. He'll come and, and overcome all of his enemies and lay all of his enemies under his feet, 1 Corinthians 15 says. And finally, God will be vindicated once and for all. But it says, after this city was destroyed, then said he to his servants, the wedding is ready, but they which were bidden were not worthy. So he's continuing his story. Go ye therefore into the highways, and as many as ye shall find, bring to the marriage. 
So the Jewish people that found themselves so unworthy were rejected and he calls in the Gentiles. That's us. We are a privileged people. We are a privileged people. And it says, call them. Um, and the servants went out to the highways and gathered together as many as were found, both good and bad, both good and bad, and the wedding was furnished. If you go to Luke chapter 14, he said this, Then the master of the house, being angry, said to his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring hither in the poor and the maimed and the halt and the blind. One In one place he was saying good and bad. In this place he was saying bring in all those that were perhaps rejected of society because they were maimed and blind and poor and, and halts or paralyzed. Bring them in. Bring in the, the rejection from society. And they would not turn down a supper like this. Why is that? Because they were needy. They saw their need. They saw that they need help outside of themselves. And they would not reject such a, a, a magnanimous invitation. Because it may not come again. Perhaps we really don't appreciate what a privilege we have as Gentiles. We really don't realize how God's people were privileged. And you just read through the Old Testament how God chose them and how God sought them out when they were unfaithful to him and wanted them to come back and sent prophets and sent um, priests and and did everything he could to win back his people. And then along comes Christ, who came to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and even he says to his disciples, do not leave Jerusalem until you be empowered from on high. And when you are empowered from on high, then you go into Judea and Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the world. And he sent the Apostle Paul, the, the Apostle to the Gentiles to spread the gospel so that we could be saved. And the Apostle Paul so gloriously um, recounts this privilege in the book of uh, Ephesians to us, how God's mystery was that the Gentiles should be made one with the Jews in terms of the commonwealth of the true Israel, the Israel of God. And this needs to 
really make us appreciate also that this is a big plan. We are a part of a big plan. This is just not something that is happening as it goes along, but God had planned this before the foundation of the world. And the Apostle Paul marvels in that, in the book of, um, as he concludes the book of Romans, at least chapter 11, after showing the, the way of salvation uh, to the Jews, to the Gentiles, the place of Israel in his great plan in Romans chapter 9, 10, and 11. And at the end of chapter 11, he says, verse 32, For God hath concluded them all in unbelief, that he might have mercy upon all, of oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God, how unsearchable are his judgment and his ways past finding out. For who hath known the mind of the Lord, or who hath been his counselor, or who hath first given to him, and it shall be recompensed again unto him. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be glory forever. Amen. And he just finished speaking about the nation of Israel how they were the elect, and then they were the rejected, and then they could be re-elected if they believe in the Son of God. They could be taken back and placed into that true olive tree if they take it by faith. And so the Lord Jesus is telling them, this is you. This is you, O Israel. You are the ones that are rejecting the king's invitation. You are the ones that um, treated the servants that he sent forth spitefully, and you slew them. And this is what God's going to do to you. He's going to send his armies. He's going to destroy the murderers, the ones that uh, Apostle Peter says, you with wicked hands have slain in his sermon on the day of Pentecost. And he concludes the sermon by saying, and when the king, so the servants went out into the highways and gathered together all as many as they found, both good and bad, and the wedding was furnished with guests now. And when the king came and saw, came in to see the guests, he saw there a man which had not on a wedding garment. Now, it, it doesn't mean that all Jews had rejected him. There were some Jews that believed. And we have the 12 disciples, the 12 apostles as proof of that. But he also took occasion with this little um, incident for at the wedding when he saw someone come in without a wedding garment. And again he was speaking directly to the hearts of the Pharisees here. And when he, he said, 
how do you, friend, come in not having a wedding garment on? And he was speechless. As I understand it, the when people were invited to a wedding, and they would come from a long way off, perhaps, and they could have been the you know people that weren't as well off, in order to honour the king, in order to honour the 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 host of the wedding for whose son the wedding was, he would give them a white robe or some kind of a beautiful robe so that they could embellish and adorn the wedding to make it worthy, make them worthy to be a part of this great wedding. We heard this morning about um, people traveling and, and having hospitality given for foot washing to soothe their feet, to make them feel welcome. Well, that's how the weddings were then, where the, the father or the host would give them a wedding garment and they would have to put it on. But apparently this person chose not to put it on. They chose not to honour the king. The king was asking them to put on this wedding garment. I am giving you. And he refused to put that wedding garment on. And he was speechless. And again, drastic action. The king took the servant and told them, told the servants, bind him hand and foot, take him away and cast him into outer darkness. There shall be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Now, you wouldn't expect that just because you didn't come to a wedding with a certain article of clothing that it deserved this harsh treatment. But that's not what Jesus was trying to say here. He was trying to speak in hyperbole here to show them exactly what they were doing with what God had offered them. What was it that God was offering them? God was offering them salvation in his Son. He preached for three years on this earth. He taught them about humility. He taught them about God's grace. He taught them about God's mercy. He taught them about hypocrisy. And he wanted to show them that you can't come to the king and in some way say, my clothes are good enough. My robe is good enough to enter your kingdom. The Apostle Paul says that we need to put on the Lord Jesus Christ. That we need to be clothed with his righteousness, the robe of righteousness which he gives to us. And that robe is a gift. It's not something that I clean of my own self. It's not something that I do with my own works. It's not something that I can buy with my own money. But I need to accept the robe which Christ offers me. Christ is offering to me a robe of righteousness. Isaiah says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. And that's exactly what the Jews were trying to do. 
They were trying to enter into the kingdom of God with their own filthy rags. In the, the book of uh, Romans, again, if you go through the whole history of or the whole account that the Apostle Paul gives as to why the Jews did not attain, It says in chapter 9 at the, at the very end of the chapter, What shall we say then? That the Gentiles which followed not after righteousness have attained to righteousness, even the righteousness which is of faith. But Israel which followed after the law of righteousness hath not attained to the law of righteousness. Why? Because they sought it not by faith, but as it was were by works of the law, for they stumbled at that stumbling block, a stumbling stone, as it is written, Behold, I lay in Zion a stumbling stone and a rock of offense, and whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they might be saved. For I bear them record that they are a zeal of, they have a zeal of God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and going about to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted themselves unto the righteousness of God. And Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone that believes. That's exactly what Jesus was trying to say in this parable. You've come to me with your own righteousness with your superficial righteousness, with your outward righteousness. But you won't look inside. You won't see what's inside of your heart. You think that that which is outside cleanses you and makes you holy before God. But Jesus says to them in Matthew 15, he says that it's not what goes in the mouth that defiles a man, what comes out of the heart defiles a man. Evil thoughts, murders, fornications, adulteries, all of this, which perhaps other people cannot see, is being masked by your outward exterior appearance. And in another chapter, Jesus says you're like whited sepulchres. On the outside, you look so nice and white and clean, but on the inside, you're as dead men's bones. That inside had to be changed. The inner man had to be born again, renewed. And the, apostle, uh, the Lord Jesus Christ was telling them, you've come, you've rejected my robe that I've given to you, that I've offered you. You've rejected that. And you want to come and present yourself as you are with your own righteousness. That's what the drastic measures were all about because they rejected the Son. And he concludes and says, For many are called, but few are chosen. When you compare that with Luke chapter 14, you say, well, I believe Jesus. I'm with him. I, 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 don't, I don't argue against him. But when you put that together with Luke 14, in the same 
parables, Jesus says, you made light of it. Or you had something more important to do. You went to your merchandise, you went to your oxen, you went to your field. You just got married, you don't have time. That is, that is, rejecting Jesus one way or the other will lead you to the same place. Whether you reject him and oppose him, or whether you just don't listen to him, you're indifferent to him, it leads you to the same place. The point is, is that we need to be urgent in our seeking of Jesus. We need not to take the time and the opportunity for granted. My dear friend outside of Jesus Christ, are you taking the opportunity that God has given you for granted? Do you not fear the Lord? You know, some of you may be thinking, oh, I've got this problem, I've got that problem, and and I'll work on it. But what will really make you think about whether you can give up the things that you like so much that you consider to be higher priority than Jesus Christ? I remember when I came to Canada and I heard the word like I'd never heard it before. I had the fear of God in me. I had the fear of God. And I can tell you that that fear of God made me do everything I could to leave everything behind. And I strive. And and, and mind you, In doing so, I still tried to somehow show God I was worthy. And in there I had to learn that you have nothing to show that you're worthy. You are not worthy. I am not worthy. But what you can do is is plead with God earnestly that the things that hinder you, he'll give you the power to overcome but to deal with it lightly, as it says here. When we deal with it lightly, what we're saying is, well, you know what, I know I've got a problem, but I'll I'll leave it for another day. I'll leave it for another day. Or, uh, let me finish this first. Now you're talking serious, serious problems. When you deal with it lightly, And do not take it as something that is the first and foremost thing you need to do. I dare say perhaps you don't have enough fear of God. And that's when you need to fear. When you need to get on your knees, when you need to beg God to give you that conviction and that fear because if you deal with it lightly, you may not get another chance like these Jews. He said in chapter 14 of Luke, he says, for those that were bidden to the feast will not, will not come into my supper. I remember 
Camp Caesar, was it? Webster Springs? There was a song called Have You Any Room for Jesus? He Who Bore Your Sin and Shame. And then the song transitioned into another song and it says there's a line that is drawn for rejecting the Lord. I remember very clearly the melody and everything. That instilled in me the fear. There is a line that is drawn for rejecting the Lord. Because when you take it lightly and you take it for granted, perhaps that call becomes softer and softer and softer. I pray that the Lord would prick your heart and instill in you that fear of God that is the beginning of all understanding and wisdom. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. The Jews got the message at the end of the the parable. It, it says that then the Jews sought how they might take him. I, as Brother Eric was praying, another few verses or words came from that song, I, I believe. at least on the same choir program, I think it was the same song, says, have you counted the cost if your, if your soul should be lost, though you gain the whole world for your own? And in that same chapter 14 of Luke, Jesus asked the Jews, says, which king going out to battle doesn't first see how many on of his enemies or he's approaching and doesn't seek peace, terms of peace. Or which person starting to build a house hasn't counted to see, do I have enough to finish? Have you counted the cost? Have you counted the cost of your decisions in seeking another way throughout this life, through this world? Another plan for your life. Have you counted the cost, what it's going to cost you if you lived your whole life for yourself and then in the end your soul is lost? That's my prayer that you don't make the same mistake as the Jews did. I pray this for all of our young ones that have been attending so long, so often with us. Do not wait another day. You're not promised tomorrow. To him be the glory evermore. Amen. This concludes us.